Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you today. So glad to be together. And I'm especially excited because we have a wonderful special guest with us today. Uh, Reverend Jenny Meisel is with us. And Jenny and her husband, Bobby, and their children, they work alongside the Church of God in Cote d'Ivoire, where they have served since 2015. Jenny and Bobby teach a variety of theological courses at the West Africa Bible Institute. They also assist in training and leading uh, national leaders for Children of Promise, which they helped launch there in 2016. That's our Church of God Child Sponsorship Ministry. Uh, now, one of the things that's really cool about Jenny is she has a lot of mid-Michigan connections. In fact, she has some family here with her today. Uh, you may know that her dad, Sam Dunbar, was the pastor at the St. Louis Church of God, not far from here, uh, from 2000 to 2010. Uh, and her dad's cousin is the one and only Carol Mead. So how about that? Uh, we're so glad uh, to have Jenny with us today and some of her family as well. Uh, my husband Dan and I uh, know Jenny from our undergraduate time at Anderson University where, they, where we were there together. Uh, I was also in seminary with Jenny and Bobby. They have two children, Moore who is seven and Reese who is three. Uh, and Jenny, we are celebrating all that God is doing in and through you. Thank you so much for being here today. Church, help me welcome Jenny. God. So we must ask, what has God given us? 
invest in God's kingdom. Many of us are familiar with the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. And this morning, I'm going to read verses 14 through 28. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, to go ahead and uh, join me there or pull it up on your phone and join me as I read the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14 through 28. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, and bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For a very long time, I myself really struggled with this parable. I thought, that was really harsh of the master. Shouldn't he have been happy? getting back the one talent that he gave to the servant? Why was he trying to get more, and why would he punish the servant by taking even the one talent that the servant had? But when we dive into this parable, when we see the heart of the master, we can see how the heart of God is one of love. First, let's take a look at the context of this parable. We see that in Matthew 25, the parable just before this one is about the parable of the ten virgins. And the teaching just after this one is what the Lord will say when he separates the sheep from the goats. So this chapter is all about being ready for the second coming of Christ. It's a warning that we must never be idle in the waiting, but we must be faithful and invest in the meantime. There are several things that we can consider 
consider when we look at the reaction of the servant who was given one talent. Let's focus back on verses 24 and 25. Verse 24 says, Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. Verse 25, So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here have what is yours. We can learn a number of things from these two verses. First, we must know and follow the expectations of our master. The servant with one talent, he knew the expectations of the master. He even stated what the expectation of the master was, to take what had been entrusted to him, to grow it and to cultivate it for the sake of the master. So we must ask, what is the expectation of our master? We're drawn back to the greatest two commandments of Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Do we have these commandments in the forefront of our mind every day? We follow the expectations of the master by investing what we have in order to love God and in order to love our neighbor. Four years ago, when Bobby and I launched the Children of Promise program in Cote d'Ivoire, we trained volunteers at a church that was up in the, the northern part of the country. And our head volunteer there, a very um, faithful man in the church, happens to be a chicken salesman. So he, he sells chickens uh, at the market, and uh, we had trained him and a group of volunteers there to be able to lead this program locally. And so it had come time for us to go out and start to collect the applications of, of the families that were applying for sponsorship for one of their children in the Children of Promise program. And it also happened to coincide with the time that a good friend of mine that I grew up with um, on the West Coast, her name is Katie, she's from California, she came over and visited us for about 10 days to two weeks. So we were ready to go and uh, collect these applications. And Katie happened to be there, and she's a nurse, so there are some basic medical questions on the application. So she agreed to do a basic medical checkup on the kids as we went to each of their houses and, and got the information that we needed for their applications. So there we are, uh, the chicken salesman, who's our, our volunteer, and then there was me, the missionary with the bad French accent, and then there was my friend Katie, the nurse, who was in Africa for the very first time. So we went to some of the different houses, and, and we were collecting information, and um, one of the things in this process is the, the translation of, of the, the logistics of it uh, requires translation. So Katie didn't, doesn't speak any French. She speaks only English, and she was asking some medical questions, so she would ask the question to me, and then I would translate it into French to our, our volunteer, the chicken salesman, and he would then translate it into the local language to ask the, the parents or the children. Because even though the kids go to school in French, um, they speak the local language at home. So a lot of the younger kids and also the parents, they're more familiar with the vocabulary and they just speak the local language more easily. So. Uh, we had the, the double translation going on. So we got to um, the house of this one young, young woman, and she lived right beside the church with her family. And um, the, the local pastor had really invested in this 
family. They were a, a faith, they still are a faithful um, family who, who attends the church and are being discipled um, by the pastor and the lay leaders there. And the local Children of Promise volunteers had selected this family to apply. And so we get to their house and we sit down and we have all the regular greetings and we begin the process, her name and her birthday, all of that basic information. And we get to the part where it's time for her to have the medical checkup. So uh, Katie starts to, you know, physically just look at, you know, her, her arms and her feet. And she discovers that on this girl's feet, she has severe skin ulcers. A lot of her skin had actually been stripped away, and it was very painful for her to walk, to run, to play. And so Katie starts asking a few questions about that. She says, so what have you been, what have you been doing to take care of your feet? And so Katie asked me in English. I asked the chicken salesman in French. He asked the family in the local language, and back to the translation of their answer into French. And, which he says to me, and I translate it to Katie, and I turn to her and I say, they, the, this girl, in order to clean her feet, has been washing her feet in bleach water. And Katie explains to the girl and her family that that was actually eating away her skin. And so Katie starts to explain how she should use simple um, soap and water. And the family had been using um, an antifungal uh, cream when they actually needed to use an antibiotic ointment uh, for what this girl needed. And so through the just brief education process and also through the investment of her sponsor, she was able to get uh, the antibiotic ointment that she needs. She was able to clean her feet properly. She was also able to get a pair of really strong, durable um, sandals that adjust uh, to her feet. And so through this process, over the last four years, her feet have been completely healed from these ulcers. And I say all of this um, to explain that here we were, a chicken salesman, a nurse that didn't speak French or the local language, a missionary with a bad French accent, doing our best to follow the master's expectations, doing our best to help those who needed some help. With the investment of the sponsor in the U.S. and Katie's uh, expertise as a nurse and the local pastor who disciples this family and the local Children of Promise Committee who walks alongside her, this young girl is now literally able to walk alongside other people. We went and visited her uh, in February, um, not too long before we came back to the U.S. And she was running and playing soccer. And there's actually um, some footage and a little video we got of her telling her own story. And that's going to be on the Alma Facebook page um, later today. So I encourage you to take a look at that. But it's just a great reminder of us, that great reminder to us, that we're called to love our neighbor, to invest, to do as the master expects us to do. But in this story, rather than following the master's expectations, the servant with one talent acted on his feeling of being afraid. This brings us to the second observation that we see in these verses 24 and 25. We must allow the master and not fear to be in control of our lives. 
we see in this passage that the servant with one talent acted out of fear. He was afraid and he allowed that fear to control his actions. Now let me clarify here, it's natural for, uh, for us to have fear. God put um, you know, concern and observation and this sense of um, care inside of us as a mechanism for us to have wisdom to avoid danger and to assess risk. And that is important. But allowing fear to control us is something different. When we allow fear to control us, we act out of that fear rather than out of love. We give in to the father of lies rather than following the one who is true. When we give the reins of our lives over to God, we can rest in his love so we're not enslaved to fear, but we're free in Jesus Christ. Fear inhibited the servant in Matthew 25. Commentator Carla Works writes, this slave was too afraid to take a risk, even though risky behavior was part of the master's business. Instead, he attempted to secure his own well-being. Isn't that what we do sometimes? I know I do. I attempt to secure my own well-being. I want to be comfortable. I want to have provision. I want to be taken care of. And uh, it's definitely a stretch and a challenge to be in Africa when I have the sense that I want to be comfortable. But God never promised us that we'd be safe. He never promised us that we would never suffer, that we'd always be comfortable. In fact, his son Jesus was not safe. He suffered. He was uncomfortable. And he is our example. We know that investing our talents means trusting in the one who secures our well-being for all eternity. So we act out of love. Following Jesus doesn't mean that we lack security. It actually means we'll be secure as long as we're following Jesus because we can, we can trust him to be in control. We can trust him with our future for all eternity. One area in which fear is often observed um, on the mission field for us is through people who have not yet put their full trust and faith in Jesus Christ. So a person might hear about Jesus, but not recognize that he's the son of the one true God who's all-powerful. In, tradition, in traditional African religions, people pray to their ancestors for help. And so when a person is not yet strong in their faith, syncretism can sometimes become a problem. Now, syncretism is when there's a mix or a combination of different religions or beliefs. So when someone has practiced a, a traditional religion and they've heard of Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus yet, they might continue to practice an element of their past religion while also claiming to worship Jesus. This is, is syncretism, an attempt to bring two incompatible beliefs together. One of the ministry projects that is currently underway in Cote d'Ivoire is the building of a ministry and activity center called the Lock Polo Project. And two months ago, about the, the near the end of June, uh, as the, the, the on the land, um, one of the first steps before actually starting construction was to drill a well 
so that there would be water for the construction and then also so that when the ministry center is actually built um, there will be water that's provided for that center so two months ago near the end of june the drilling rig team was ready to start drilling the well on this land um, in this part of the war well we were praying from a distance and uh, pastor yale one of our local pastors there was praying the local church was praying um, that we would be able to find water, that the drilling team would be able to find water on the first drill. See, if they have to move to a different location on the land, then there's an additional fee. So every time that they have to move, if they don't hit water and they move to a different spot, we have to pay more. So we always pray that we'll hit water on the very first try in the first location. So they're getting ready to start this drilling, and um, the head technician of the drilling team, uh, he's a believer, but some of the village people who were nearby were not, are not believers. And so as they were getting ready to start the drilling, um, some of the people from the village, some of the leaders of the village came over and said, hey, we need to offer uh, an animal sacrifice so that the ancestors will be appeased and happy and they'll give, you, they'll give us water, a good, a good source of water. And this uh, drilling technician, he said, well, I'm a believer, and this is for a Christian ministry center and activities building, so I don't feel like that's appropriate. I think that we need to pray, and we need to trust um, you know, that God is going to work. And so they started to drill. They drilled down 80 meters, and they hit rock. So the believers began to pray, and... They continued to drill. Some of the drilling team wanted to give up, but the head technician said, no, we're going to keep going. So they continued to drill down, and they got to 100 meters. But the well was still dry. At this time, um, our local Church of God pastor, he had come, and, and people were gathering around, and those who were believers were praying. But the, the drilling team, they were not hopeful that this was going to happen. So the head technician said, okay, just a little bit, a little bit deeper. When they hit 105 meters down, the water gushed out. There was enough water for there to supply three villages. And even those around the, the technician, the team said the water was such good quality that it could be bottled and sold. And uh, people, when the water gushed out, started running away because they came out so fast they were going to get splashed. And so later on, the village chief came. And he told Pastor Yale that nearby at a, a clinic not very far away, they had drilled in three different spots. And even after they got to that third spot and they, they drilled, they did finally hit water, but the pressure was not good at all. So this was a huge testimony. The fact that they had trusted the Lord, the fact that they had stood up and said, we're gonna believe and we're gonna pray, and we're not going to give in to our concerns and our fears, but we're going to trust that the Lord is going to provide for this place. The drilling technician did not take his focus off of Jesus. Sometimes when we have concern, when we're worried or afraid, we tend to lose our focus. We look at other places for our comfort. We look at other areas to fulfill our, our needs and to, to fulfill um, and, and help us to deal with our fears. We honor the Lord when we move forward in faith, despite 
our concerns and fears, when we trust and give those over to the Lord. Letting the Lord take control of our lives also means that we use our talents for his glory. We must not hide our talents as we find uh, the one servant doing in the parable, but we must invest them. The servant with one talent hid instead of actively investing. He said to the master, I hid your talent in the ground. Due to his fear, he chose to hide. Where do we first find hiding in the Bible? In the Garden of Eden, of course, with, with Adam and Eve, who were ashamed and hid from God. When we, when we hide, we are not free. When we hide, we live in a lie rather than facing the light and the truth. True freedom comes when we come into the light, and the light of the world is Jesus himself. One way in which we're able to walk alongside the, the Ivorian church is to help to host service experiences or work camps. So these are groups that come from North America, and they serve alongside the church in Cote d'Ivoire for a short period of time to complete a project. So a couple of years ago, the National Church um, in Cote d'Ivoire, they asked for the help of the North American Church. And there's a, a small congregation in the village uh, of Sinfra, it's a village called Sinfra. And um, a while ago, a parsonage had been built for the pastor but a church building had never been constructed. And so the congregation was actually meeting in what was supposed to be the living room of the pastor's uh, parsonage. And they had long ago outgrown this. When we would go there out to the village, of course, it's really hot and we're seated on these uh, backless benches and we're shoulder to shoulder. And there just was not enough room for people to even come in and find a seat. So they really needed uh, a new building that would uh, fit their needs. And so a longtime work camp coordinator from here in the U.S., his name is Jeff, uh, he, he helped to answer this call uh, for the National Church's request for partnership in constructing this building in the village of Sinfra. So Jeff teamed up with a Church of God congregation in Minnesota, and together they gathered a team that came to lay the foundation and build the walls alongside uh, the Ivorian congregation for this church in Sinfra. Now, some background to the story that kind of seems unrelated until we see uh, what the Lord was doing to go before us and work this all out is that a few months prior to the arrival of this team, I heard about a program through a friend that offered education for um, young women to be able to um, learn about the process of uh, growth and their bodies and also offer them menstruation kits that they could reuse. So one of the challenges in some parts of Africa is that uh, some young ladies are not able to go out, to attend school, to continue life as normal during their menstruation cycle. And so they just are not able to afford the products that they need. And so I heard about these reusable kits that could be washed, and, and there's a program, teaching program that goes with it, and a faith element that we could put together with it, and I thought this would be really awesome be able to go out to some of the villages and to some of our churches and teach this and offer these kits, but they were not available in Cote d'Ivoire. And so we, you know, put our focus back on this team that was going to be coming, preparing for them to arrive. And Jeff and his team, a total of eight people, 
um, arrived and they did an incredible job of investing and working alongside the Ivorian church to put down the foundation, to put up the walls of this church, and uh, just really a blessing to have this group come. But God wasn't done yet. You see, one of the people on this team of uh, workers who had come, he's a part-time carpenter, but he's also a rural mail carrier. His name is Dave. And he had come on this, uh, on this uh, group, on this team that had come to, to help build. And uh, he returned back home, and he was doing his mail route. And he had become friends with one of the men on his mail route named Dan. Now, Dan is, uh, works in construction. And uh, so he you know, was talking to Dan. Dan had seen a write-up in the newspaper, the local paper, about their trip to Africa. So they talked a little bit about that. And Dan said to Dave, hey, if, if you know, they ever need help, I would be willing to go and, and help out if they take another team there. So uh, Dan got in touch with Jeff, uh, the guy who leads the trips. And a few months in, Dan sends this email to Jeff. And Jeff goes ahead and, and contacts me and says, hey, um, Dan's wife, Carol, She's part of this organization uh, called Days for Girls. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but they sew these menstruation kits for girls, and they would love to send some with the next team if you think you'd be able to use them. And I was like, yes, I've heard of it. Yes, that would be amazing. I have not said a word to anyone except for my husband, Bobby, about this at all. And Carol has been part of um, this team in, in Minnesota that sews these kits. And she was so excited to find someone um, and have a connection and that someone that would be able to distribute these and, and have young ladies who would be able to use them. So we, uh, you know, the, the team came with Dan and Jeff and they brought these kits. And I was able to help train one of our EVAL, West Africa Bible Institute graduates, one of our ladies who is, has graduated from EVAL, who works with um, young women. She speaks the local language of one of the villages that we were going to go to to distribute these kits. So she agreed to be trained on this, and we worked together, and we went out, and we started to teach, and we started to distribute these kits, and there's a, a complimentary program that goes with this for the young men, and uh, they teach also how to build hand-washing stations for places that don't have uh, running water. So we were able to get a hand-washing station at uh, the local church, uh, where they don't have uh, running water while we did this, this training. And looking back, I'm thinking, wow, a mail carrier from Minnesota, a contractor, a seamstress, and an eval-trained teacher willing to invest their talents rather than hide them, rather than push them aside, willing to invest. And seeing that when we invest, when we walk alongside, we're not only able to inspire others to do the same, but to teach by example how we can use what the Lord has gifted us with to make an impact for his kingdom. It's truly a blessing for us to experience what the Lord does with our investments. When we give of our talents to him, Investing in the kingdom means loving our neighbor because God's heart is for his people. His desire is to see each one come to him. So when we give of our talents, when we share in this way, we're fulfilling the desire of the heart of God. It's 
it's not surprising that the passage that follows the parable of the talents is well known, explaining that Jesus will say on Judgment Day, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. Your partnership, your investments, make it possible for me and Bobby and our kids to serve in Cote d'Ivoire. We don't do this alone. We're privileged to be a bridge between your investment and between the investment of the local and vital and growing church in Cote d'Ivoire. So we can work together to see more people experience the love of God and what it means to be part of the kingdom. Thank you for investing in God's kingdom. Thank you, Alma Church of God. Let's pray. Lord God, all that we have, even our very selves, it is all yours. You are our master. We will follow your expectations. We give you control of our lives. Lord, we will invest all that we have in every part of who we are in your kingdom so that your love will be known to our neighbors and to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.